0: And if you would open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. We've been working our way through the book of Genesis. We're going to consider the entire chapter. However, just in the interest of time, I'm going to read uh, for our scripture reading the first six verses. Genesis chapter 15. After these things... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and and said, Look, look toward the heaven and and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord. And God counted it to him as righteousness. Let's pray together. Father, as we are considering this doctrine of justification by faith, as it is so clearly put forward uh, in verse 6, that Abram believed the Lord and, and you credited it to him, imputed it to him, counted it to him as righteousness. So I pray that You would help us to understand this doctrine of justification by faith alone. I pray that if there are any here who are outside of Jesus Christ, that uh, they would not only understand it uh, in their heads, but also uh, believe it in their hearts. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I read about a man this week that lived in England. And he decided to spend a month touring Europe, I guess we would say, since he was in England. He went on holiday for a month. And because he was going to be there for a month, he had his expensive car shipped across the English Channel so that he could drive around on his tour. But after he had been over there for a while, his car broke down. So he called his dealer back in England to see what he should do. Uh, To his amazement, the dealer... Flew over a mechanic from England over to France um, and also flew over some tools to work on his car. And so he fixed the car and he was able to continue on his uh, tour. He was terrified how much the bill would be. He finished his holiday, came back to England, went to the dealership to uh, settle up to pay his bill. But there was no record that they could find of his bill. His car was fixed for no charge. We're going to consider this morning the glorious doctrine of justification by faith alone. And this story is not uh, an illustration of what justification is, but it's a great illustration of the blessings that are ours because of justification by faith. The blessing is that justification is a free gift, one that we haven't earned, one that we don't deserve. It's uh, not being charged, actually, what is owed, because what we owe is an eternity of punishment, because we are sinners. We have sinned against the Holy God. But the blessing of justification by faith means that even though you have a record of sins, you're not charged with them. Someone may say, "Well, what about the sins that I committed willfully? No charge. What about the sins that I that I committed after I became a Christian? No charge. What about the sins that I've yet to commit, my future sins?" No charge. What about my future sins that I will commit willfully? No charge. Now, wait a minute. What about the sins that I commit on my deathbed? No charge. Alright. What if it's a big sin that I commit willfully and that I die in the process of committing it so that I was not able to ask for forgiveness? No charge. If you've never listened to me before, please listen now. Your salvation is bound up with righteousness. We always talk about salvation being bound up with forgiveness. That's a byproduct your salvation is being is bound up with righteousness a perfect righteousness a righteousness that is equal with God's righteousness Romans 3:21 but now not a forgiveness has been revealed from God but now a righteousness has been revealed from God your salvation is bound up with righteousness. A perfect righteousness, a righteousness that is equal to God's righteousness, and this is the righteousness that you need if you are to be saved. That even one sin, just one sinful fault, destroys righteousness. James says, if you've committed one sin, it's just as if you've broken them all. You can't be almost righteous. Righteousness is righteousness. You can't have a blemished righteousness, just like you can't have an almost perfect perfection. And so, if you have one sin against you, through righteousness is destroyed completely. It is unrighteousness. This is the way it's always been. In order to have a relationship with God, one must be perfectly righteous, completely righteous. Therefore, salvation is only of the Lord because who of us uh, is perfect enough or worthy enough To attain the righteousness that we need in order to be able to stand before the Lord. How does Hebrews chapter was it chapter twelve verse? um, How can I not remember this? Hebrews anyway it says um, one must be perfect or or seek holiness after which. No one will see the Lord. In other words, without holiness, it is impossible to see the Lord. That's what righteousness is. It is perfect holiness. The doctrine of justification by faith teaches us that God gives us His righteousness. And He gives it not to good people, not to worthy people, but He actually gives it to the unrighteous and sinners who put their trust in Him. Let's look at the text. Uh, Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6, we already uh, read it. We saw that Abram, after he returned victoriously from battle uh, in chapter 14, uh, that the Lord said to him, Fear not. I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. You know, it could be that Abram, after returning from battle, might have been thinking, what was I thinking? Going into these, to battle against these six kings, being undermanned, what was I thinking? I could have been killed. But God speaks to Abram and says, in effect, you would not have been killed because I am your shield. You remember also from last week that uh, after Abram won the battle that they said to him, We'll take your spoils. And he said, No, I will not be enriched um, by other people. Uh, he didn't want the Canaanites to be able to say that Abram got, uh, got wealthy and powerful uh, off of their wealth. So God encouraged Abram and said, You gave up the reward that was rightfully yours because you wanted to honor me. He says, your reward shall be very great. Abram gave up wealth that was easily attained to make sure that he received the reward that God had planned for him. And the reward that God has planned for you will far surpass any Reward or anything that you can attain on your own. We don't talk a lot about self-denial, but God rewards those who practice self-denial in order that they may f- more fully and um, um, and and um, joyfully uh, serve Him. It doesn't mean that you have to be a monk and give things up, but there are things. But as believers, we have to say no to in order that we might serve God. Sometimes we we should say no to things that aren't necessarily sinful in order that uh, we might uh, more faithfully serve God. Uh, Time and commitment to our jobs. Uh, Time and commitment to our hobbies that may not be sinful. Uh, If God is your reward, if, if you were seeking God to give you um, a reward, everything else, this world and all the stuff, it begins to lose its luster. Um, God rewards those who are willing to put Him first and put everything else as second. It may be that He rewards you with more joy and contentment. It may be that He rewards you with greater growth in the Lord. It may be that um, He may reward you with greater effectiveness uh, in your service for God. It may be that He would even include the physical wealth and long life on top of these spiritual blessings. All I know is that God's rewards far outweigh anything that you can gain on your own. Abram, he didn't really he he wasn't after material blessings. That's not what concerned him. What he wanted was an heir. So look at verses 2 and 3. Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household, uh, in other words, his servant, will be his heir. And so God answered Abram very tenderly as a loving father in verses 4 and 5. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Look toward the heaven. Number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to Abram, So shall your offspring be. And how does Abram respond? Verse 6. This is important. Abram believed the Lord and God counted it uh, to him as righteousness. Abram didn't pray the sinner's prayer. Abram didn't walk the aisle in church. He simply believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. This is simple. This is free. This is gracious salvation. There's no other salvation other than this kind of salvation. This is what we call justification by faith alone. Remember what I said a few moments ago, salvation is bound up with righteousness. That's what God gave to Abram. He gave him a complete, a perfect righteousness that equals God's righteousness. That's the best gift anyone could receive. That's why the Bible says, when we trust in Christ, God clothes us with in Christ. And so that when God sees us, He sees us with the perfect, complete righteousness of Jesus Christ. I always like to tell people that salvation has two parts. One, where Jesus comes, He by His death on the cross, He paid for our sins so that we have a zero in our account when it comes to the account of our sins. But that's only half the story. The other half of the story is Jesus clothes us in His righteousness so that when God sees us, He sees the full account of Jesus' righteousness, His goodness that has been credited into our account. We cannot stand before God unless we are completely holy. That's what Jesus does for us. Takes away our sins and gives us His holiness. All we can do is trust in Him. This is justification by faith alone. It's the best gift anyone could receive. It is mind-boggling to me that people are always trying to make up cheap substitutes. Why would anybody do that? When you have this gift, this free gift of the righteousness of God that you receive simply by entrusting yourself to Him. I think that's the the question of the universe. And I always meet people, and as I talk to them about the Gospel, they always have some other way of salvation. Well, I was a good person. I went to church. Um, I do good things for people. I have good intentions. On and on and on. And I say you call yourself a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, what are you going to tell me about Jesus? I think what's happening is they want the blessings without the blessing giver. They're saying, in effect, give me salvation, but stay out of my life. Or at least, don't ask too much of me. You can come into my life as long as it's my terms. And uh, it shows that they really don't have a proper view of salvation. They want it, like I said, on their terms, and they add themselves in what they can do to make them feel themselves feel justified before God. And um, they are not able to uh, give themselves the righteousness that God absolutely requires. Let me try and illustrate. Just how free and how gracious this justification by faith really is. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 is quoted uh, three times in the New Testament: once in um, in uh, Romans chapter 4, again in Galatians chapter 3, and then again in James chapter 2 we don 't have time to walk through it. I simply want to uh, give you three of paul 's conclusions from Romans uh, chapter four. first of all, in Romans four and you have it uh, here in your your bulletin in the uh, responsive reading, or you could turn. In your Bibles, or you can just wait and study it later. I've listed the, uh, these three passages uh, in your sermon outline on the back of your bulletin. The first thing Paul points out is that Abram was considered righteous, was considered righteous before he was circumcised. Genesis 15, we know, took place 14 years before Genesis 17. Abram wasn't circumcised until Genesis 17. And so he was considered righteous because of his faith before he was circumcised. In other words, Abram was a Gentile when God saved him. And it has been God's design. Abram teaches us this. It has been God's design all along to save Gentiles. His purpose in saving Gentiles was not a plan B. It was not something he thought up after the Jews rejected him. It was always his plan. God has always had a worldwide plan. That's why Christ gave all authority to the church, so that we would make disciples of all nations. It has always been God's plan to save the Gentiles. Aren't you glad? Because most of us in this congregation, I would, I would, uh, I would think, are, are Gentiles that have received this salvation. Secondly, Paul points out that Abram was saved and was counted righteous before the law was given. In fact, Galatians, the Galatians chapter three uh, passage says it explicitly that 430 years before the law was given, Abram was considered righteous. The point is, obedience does not make you righteous. Obeying the law does not make you righteous. Abram attained righteousness as a free gift 430 years even before the law was given to Moses. He attained it by faith alone. A third thing um, that Paul said, and this is actually in the beginning of Romans, but he, and he doesn't say this about Abram, he says it about King David. He quotes from Psalm 32. Psalm 32, you'll remember, is one of those psalms that David wrote as he's repenting of his uh, adultery with Bathsheba and then also his murder of Uriah, who was Bathsheba's husband, so that he could steal Bathsheba from him. Um, And so Paul quotes here from Psalm 32 that was written by King David. You know, I've been teaching through the Old Testament on Wednesday nights. I give this little 15-minute uh, informal teaching, and we've just been what, like, for three or four years moving through the Old Testament, and so we're halfway through Numbers after all this time. But I went through Leviticus, uh, finished it several months ago, and I don't remember seeing any sacrifice uh, in the book of Leviticus that gets you off the hook for murder. Um, What's the penalty for murder in the Old Testament? The death penalty. David was hopeless. Um, basically, he should have received the death penalty. Uh, there was nothing he could do but cast himself on the mercy of God, and that's what he, what David did by faith. And so we have here in Romans chapter four. Um, And to the one, verse 5, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as, as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteous apart from works, blessed are all those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. This is not just some run-of-the-mill sin that that is not being counted against Him. This is adultery. This is lying. This is murder that David is speaking of here. And he is saying, I am blessed because God is not counting these sins against me. No sin is too great to shut us out from from God's mercy. Um, No sin is too heinous To keep us, uh, to put us beyond God covering over our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Blessed uh, is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And then in James 2. Uh, Genesis fifteen six is also mentioned. James says that true faith, like Abram's faith, produces works that are in keeping with that faith. You say you have faith in God, James says in chapter 2? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You say you have faith? Good. You're qualified to be a demon, James says. The question is, does your faith produce good works in your life? You don't do good works in order to be righteous. But once God makes you righteous, then your faith will begin producing good works, good fruits in your life. Here's another little... I told you about the two parts of salvation. And there's two things God does in our life when he saves us. One, he declares us righteous, justification by faith alone. Secondly, he changes us. He regenerates us. He makes us into new people. What Second Corinthians five seventeen. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. He doesn't simply justify you and leave you to go on your, your, your life as you were going. No, He changes you. And so your faith will begin producing works that are in keeping with your faith. So let me ask you, have you rested your faith on God the Son, Jesus Christ? Is your faith resting on Him alone? for your salvation? Is Jesus Christ the Master and King and Lord of your life? Does your faith produce works in keeping with your faith? I'm going to conclude really quickly, but I want you to see something here um, because it, is, it, it can be so odd to our modern eyes God wanted to visually confirm His promises. Even though it's clear that Abraham already believes these promises, God gave Abram some instructions that that uh, that might sound strange to us. But this was actually a very common practice in the ancient Near East. They would, when they would make a, covenants with each other or make agreements with each other, instead of going and visiting a lawyer and and coming to a mutually agreeable settlement. Um, they would cut a covenant is literally what it would, would what it would be called. And they called it cutting a covenant because what they would do is they would cut these animals right in half. And then they would take these animals and uh, make a little path, almost like this isle here, and put one half of the animal here, the other half of the animal here, and do a series of, of animals. And that's what God told Abram to do. Kill these these animals, make an aisle of blood. And that's what they would do in the old way back uh, at Abram's time. They, When they would make an agreement, they would cut a covenant. Um, however, this covenant is highly unusual because this covenant was entirely one sided. Abram had to, to prepare the, the Isle of Blood by cutting the animals in half and arranging them. But both parties were supposed to walk this aisle, only one party the aisle, and that party was God. And here's the symbolism of the Isle of Blood covenant. If 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 one party breaks the covenant, they were saying, "May I be cut in half, just like these animals." Um, there was a covenant made with with Adam back in the garden. Adam, and through Adam, all of us broke that covenant. All of us should have been cut in half. All of us should undergo the, the extensive, intense, eternal wrath of God because of Adam's sin. And then because we're His children, we sin against God as well. But instead of us passing down that isle of blood, God Himself passed down that isle of blood uh, we read about it here in verses uh, 17 through 21. I'm just going to read verses 17 and 18. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And that was God symbolically passing through, passing down the Isle of, of, of Blood. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your offspring, I will give this land. And it continues. This passage teaches us a great deal about our salvation. Jesus Christ, even though we broke the covenant, Jesus Christ consented, even willingly came and went to the cross and hung there in our place. We were not there. It was entirely one-sided. Jesus paid it all. Jesus did it all. What can we do? All we can do is trust in Him. Justification by faith alone. We participated in Adam. We are covenant breakers. Jesus Christ appeared in our behalf, took God's place, I'm sorry, took, Uh, God's wrath in our place. You know the passage, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might be the forgiven of God. Is that what it says? No, that we might be the righteousness of God. Now, all this being said, it's very tempting to think that because God has done all this for us, for us to become very self-centered in our salvation, for us to think that God exists for us, well, hey, He sent His Son to die for us. Actually, our salvation is for God's glory and for His purposes. We exist for God and not vice versa. And the same is true for Abram um, Verses. 12 through 16. Uh, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go down to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In other words, God is saving Abram. God is giving His promises not only to Abram, but to his offspring. By the way, Galatians chapter 3 says if you are a believer, you are a child of Abraham. Um, But uh, all these promises that God gives to them, He says, before you possess this land, You've got to go down to Egypt. I need to allow the sin of the Amor- Amorites to grow to its full extent that when I bring your people back, they may punish them as they deserve to be punished. Uh, that, that, they may, that God may punish the Amorites as they deserve to be punished. Um, our salvation is not for us to be happy, happy, happy all the time, time, time. Our salvation uh, is for God and His purposes and His glory. So let me ask you, believers in Jesus Christ, what is your attitude toward God? Who is the center of your life? Are you willing for God to use you for a larger purpose than yourself? High school graduates? Are you willing for God to use you for a higher purpose than yourself? The blessings of the gospel are not for us alone. However, those blessings are wonderful indeed. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we've considered a long passage with a lot of theology. My prayer, however, is not that we would learn something new between our ears but rather our hearts would be aflamed in love for Jesus Christ, for Him who became sin for us, so that in Him we might be the righteousness of God. Father, help us also to look beyond ourselves to You, to Your kingdom, to Your purposes, to Your glory, use us as You will. Extend Your kingdom through us.